Welcome. To Arcade Audio. Welcome back to Shared History. History. Good to the last drop. Mmm, tasty. Yum, yum. Nom, nom. Yum, yum. <laughs> uh, welcome, welcome, friends. Uh, it's your trusty old Nat over here. And your trusty old Cass, because I just had a birthday. You did just have a birthday. I'm 30. And I will be s- eventually, hopefully. I always forget you're <laughs> younger than me because you just do things better. <laughs> In life, adulting. But also, it's my last name. So, uh, younger in name and in chronology. Ah. And then over there on the uh, beats and the bops. The ones and the twos. It's DJ Rip. The beats are back. The bops are back. The ones and twos. Hello, you. Um, I want to let everyone know that we are um, starting a children's variety show, a la John Mulaney, a la Mr. Rogers, and that is the intro. Yep. We aren't involved. It's just Rip. Yeah, it's just Rip's hour. It's just me showing children what it looks like to go insane. <laughs> oh, no. He's going to wear just like a like a WWE wrestling t-shirt, but with like a cardigan over it. <laughs> yeah, because he's sensible. Or just like a short sleeve, you know, just general he, t-shirt no, no. with a tie. He's wearing a cardigan over it, but the sleeves are ripped off the cardigan. Yeah, they're ripped off. <laughs> hey! Oh, he's going to need to have, we're going to need to find a cleaner name for his fans if he's going to have a children's <laughs> variety show. No, no, no DJ as strippers. As far as I'm concerned, there's still DJ strippers because <laughs> nobody's suggested anything better. Uh, dear readers, Please come up with a a, a new name for Rip's if, fans. If you think you could do better than DJ Strippers, Pusha. Pusha. Um, so Natalie and I have our topics today. Yes. And Natalie did what, again, adults are supposed to do, as we're supposed to do in the show, and email Rip her topic so that we know that we don't have the same one. I did not do that. <laughs> There's so, a lot of history to go around. I, I feel so like we're history. safe. Yes. One of these days we are going to come up with the same one and be like, no, we almost did once with night witches. We both thought about doing night witches at the same time. That's true. But uh, so, so I was like, Natalie was like, what's your theme? Our themes are kind of similar. We couldn't figure out who to go first. So I was like, what if we rock, paper, scissors? On and air? I am very competitive. So we are going to rock, paper, scissors. Two out of air. three. Yes. Oh yeah. And you uh, go rock, papers and you shoot on shoot. Right. Oh, wait. How do you do it? Yeah, you shoot on shoot, not yeah, on scissors. Rock, paper, paper scissors, scissors. Yeah, 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 shoot. Yeah. Okay. Cool, 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 cool. All right, you ready? Yeah. I guess we don't need to be Because right. okay. podcasting is a visual medium. <laughs> DJ Rip's going to narrate this. All right. All right. Ready? Commentary. Rock, rock paper, paper, scissors, scissors shoot. shoot. Oh, darn. It was two scissors. <laughs> we scissored. <laughs> oh, no. Hey. Around two. Rock, rock paper, paper, scissors, shoot. shoot. Oh. Ooh, Natalie with scissors. Cass with paper. Rock, rock paper, paper, scissors, scissors shoot. shoot. Oh! Natalie with paper, cast with rock. All right, best four out of seven. That's the math there, right? Wow, what a sore loser. <laughs> you heard it here. Probably not first, if you know her. Uh, um, I guess I get to decide if I want to go first oh, for yeah. a second. Yeah, do you want to play or pass, Natalie? You could always defer. 
and one dollar. And you'll get the no, ball. No, you know what? I'll go you, first. Yeah, okay. I'll go first. Uh, Cass will get the ball at halftime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to shut my computer then so it doesn't die. You're going to shit your computer? I'm going to shut it. <laughs> All right. Uh, great. Uh, <clears throat> <clears throat> Sit right back in your heel, hear a tale, a tale of a fateful ship that was purchased in Brazil in, 19, in 1825. And Almost dubbed, spit water into the mic. We can't do that. <laughs> and dubbed the... Uh, is that hand- written down in your notes? Yep, because I didn't want to forget. <laughs> <laughs> this bit is too good. It's fire. Uh, <laughs> it was purchased in Brazil in 1825 and dubbed the Henry Quetta, which is not the Henrietta, the Henry Quetta. Oh, that's one word, like H-E-R-N- yep. Q-U-E-T-T-N? Mm-hmm. E. Yup. Um, I think it was a Spanish ship, so it's like, I don't, I don't know if that would change the pronunciation, but I... Sounds Francois. I, I don't know what it would change. Well, no, because it's Brazilian. So I oh, guess, that's yeah. Um, okay. So not a bunch of no, is known about the origins of the ship. Uh, it was likely built in 1824 uh, in Baltimore because the style of the ship is collo- colloquially known as a Baltimore Clipper, mm. uh, which is a fast, two-masted brigantine ship. Uh, get ready for a lot of maritime language. Oh my god, I love ships, by the way. Well, here we are. Uh, if we were a more gimmicky podcast, I would request that you do the rest of this in a Baltimore accent. <laughs> or excuse me, a Baltimore accent. A Baltimore, a Baltimore accent. I cannot do a Baltimore accent. It, Nor should you. <laughs> yeah. I weirdly love it. It's hard to do, and Baltimoreans will not be happy with you. I I don't want I don't need that I don't need mm. I don't I don't want to step to the Baltimoreans. Shout out Maura Hogan, who's from Baltimore, I believe, does a killer accent. Yep. She's great. She she can do it. And I I cannot. So we will uh, shout Maura out Justin Hogan. Hogan. Yeah, Justin Swinson's from he's Maryland. From, he's from Maryland. From, yeah, he, he represents Baltimore a little bit. Yeah, he kind of is just has taken all of Maryland for himself <laughs> and how, Old Bay. That's how I feel about it. Yeah. Uh, anyway, you, that doesn't matter. Um, Baltimore Clippers. It doesn't matter because the story doesn't take place in Baltimore. It takes place on the high seas. Oh yeah, this is just about the boat. Uh, yeah. Uh, the clip, the Baltimore Clippers are designed for speed, um, and the Henry Quetta's speed was put to work for a slave dealer, and Bahia. I should have looked up the pronunciation. It's a state in Brazil. Mm. Uh, she ran six voyages over three years, uh, carrying approximately three thousand forty slaves to Brazil, um, according to Wikipedia. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but also according to Wikipedia, the slave, they, so what I, it was this, it was a good source for this. The slave dealer, uh, who owned the Henry Quetta would have made a tidy sum of 80,000 pounds or 102,466 US dollars, which is approximately 6.6 million pounds, 8.5 million US dollars adjusted for inflation. For our, uh, fans abroad. Yep. And, uh, and domestic. This one, I actually had to switch it. It was in pounds. I was going to say because it was a Brazilian we have to go from ship. Miles a kilometer. So I had to. I had to take it from uh, pounds to for US dollars. Domestic fans. Yeah. Then. For for our fans at home, um, enter the HMS Sybil. Sadly, <laughs> not named for Sybil Luddington. Oh, I love her uh, because it's a UK ship, and I doubt that they would name one of their ships after for Sybil Luddington for a after revolutionary. an unknown revolutionary mm-hmm. hero. I don't know. Maybe they're into those deep cuts. Uh, <laughs> they captured the Henry Quetta in uh, on September 6, eighteen twenty-seven, mid-slave run. 
the United Kingdom's Navy took Henrietta into service as a tender to Sybil, meaning that she was used as a like smaller like companion ship to transport folks from the Sybil to their destination uh, because she's smaller. She's Got like it. a little assistant or yeah. a little sister or in the way that my older sister treated me, a little assistant. Uh, or uh, to call back the song you sang at the beginning, a little buddy. Oh, a little buddy. <laughs> I'm tickled. Uh, the civil was assigned to the West Africa Squadron, also known as the Preventive Squadron, which was formed to suppress the Atlantic slave trade by patrolling the west coast of West Africa, or to patrolling the coast of West Africa after Britain formally abolished the slave trade in 1807 with the uh, Slave Trade Act of 1807. Mm. Uh, for our domestic audience, if you didn't know, America real behind on the uptake of abolishing the slave trade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We took a... We took a while. Uh, the Slave Trade Act prohibited British subjects from trading in slaves, crewing slave ships, sponsoring slave ships, uh, fitting out slave ships, and uh, it later included a clause that allowed the Navy to capture slave ships, even if they didn't currently have any uh, African captives on the ship, but if they could very clearly tell that the ship was uh, designed to hold them and to transport them. Um, at the time that the Henry Quetta was captured, that clause wasn't in there. So I guess, like, luckily the Henry Quetta had enslaved Africans on board when the Sybil took her, because otherwise they wouldn't have been able to rightfully seize the ship. Right. Um, the, when the Henry Quetta was captured, the, there were uh, 569 enslaved Africans on board. Uh, but after that, she was henceforth not the Henriqueta anymore. She was renamed the HMS Black Joke. Oh, after, no. After a body English song of the same title, which I kept trying to find the lyrics to. Uh, Maybe it's best those. It's like a dirty song, but I, yeah. couldn't, find the, I couldn't find the lyrics. Right. Uh, I want to say that I told, I told Rip, I texted him my topic, and he was like, I almost searched for that at work. And I'm glad I didn't Google that at work. And I'm like, probably for the best. Search history won't be looking great. Uh, So I apologize in advance for how many times I'm going to say the phrase black joke during this uh, episode. (laughs) It's the name of the ship. Uh, And so your starting lineup of the West Africa Squadron, the HMS Sybil, a 38-gun warship, the HMS Esk, uh, ESK a 20-gun post ship slightly smaller than the Sybil, and the newly reborn HMS Black Joke, a three-gun clipper. Uh, The HMS Black Joke set sail with her new team on January 5th, 1828, and quickly got to work in her new role as a slave catcher. What's that? It is a ship that chases down and captures uh, uh, slaver ships. So it is purposely being used to like rescue uh in, like enslaved africans who are in oh. transport uh and then they and then per like the missions. yeah Got per it. the um per the slave trade act they can then like seize the ship and Did you also just say free, when was the slave trade act this was in britain uh right? yeah 1807 1807 so most okay. of these ships that they're going to ca- that the that the hms black joke captures are probably on their way to north or south america Got uh it. that's where most of the that's where the slave trade was a booming still um but a lot of them are like spanish ships uh 
what's what I tried to figure out was when they capture them, it seemed like there's like a bounty that the British government then will pay the ship, like whoever commands the ship that captured the other ship. Mm-hmm. Um, these so it's are still very much profiteering. Yeah, but, but yeah. these are navy ships, and there's only like a record of a couple of like private vessels that were oh, okay. used to do it. So it doesn't seem like the bounty that the British government was paying out to be like thank you for mm-hmm. like freeing these slaves and capturing like this ship yeah. was that profitable because there's really only. Uh, my sources only like mentioned like two private vessels that were ever used for this. So it was mostly done by the Royal Navy. Got it. Um, Cool. 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 So, uh, so, so now the HMS black joke is a slave catcher and January 12th, she captures. So January 5th, she like pushes out in, in her new glory. Mm. uh, And January 12th, she's already, Already snapping up ships. Okay. Uh, she captures the Spanish schooner Gertrude's, uh, which could outrun the Sybil and the Esk, which were in uh, the Black Joke's party, but not the Black Joke. Uh, Gertrude's uh, carried 155 slaves. Uh, then that May, she takes down a well-armed pirate ship, um, which I just thought was neat. The ship is called the Presidente, uh, and it is a Portuguese uh, pirate ship. Mm. Um and they like free, or maybe it wasn't. They free a Portuguese ship that the pirate ship had previously taken. Um, a lot of turnover in these lots boats. Of just, just. Am just, I not supposed to call them boats? I don't care. I just looked up what a Balmore Clipper looks like. They're pretty cool. Yeah, they look Two big fast. masts, very speedy, speedy bees. <laughs> uh, later that May, the, uh, they capture the Vengador with uh, little resistance. I think Great it's a Spanish names ship, here. right? I'm going to butcher them because I cannot do a Spanish accent. I'm really impressed you keep nor calling will them all I try. She. Well, because uh, everyone knows a boat's a lady. Yeah. Right? Florida. Florida. Boat's a lady, right? She's oh, we, a lady. We just call him Rip Florida now? Oh, I just did. Is he our Florida man? <laughs> hey, uh, hey, Florida. Florida. Hey, Florida. Um, then in September, uh, they capture the Zephyrina with the help of another uh, HMS ship called the Primrose. Uh, the Zephyrina was carrying 218 slaves. Um, now the current lieutenant who is in charge of the Black Joke is promoted to commander because he's so killing they're, it. They're kind of like amassing a fleet here. Do these yeah, they're show, like, like traveling in like a little party. Yeah, so they, they free these slaves and then they kind of keep the ships there as... Well, they little, little baby fleets. They take. I don't. I. It, I think they mostly take the ships and everything back to. Um, if they're taking, if they're able to take the slaves uh, back to freedom, they're taking them to Sierra Leone because that's the closest uh, port that they can take them to that they would be free, um, because it's under British rule. Yeah. I think. Uh, but and Sierra so I Leone think that the, in Africa. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that the Geography ships people. are being. Also taken back to Sierra Leone. And they're probably repurposed And probably refit. Yeah. Got it, got it. In some cases, like, if that ship then, like, became important for some other reason, like, Mm -hmm. I know what it, it's a new Royal Navy name, but sometimes they were just auctioned, and sometimes the Royal Navy didn't purchase them. And they're probably renamed. And and for our our listeners at home, HMS stands for? Her Majesty's Service? Yeah, I think something like that. I think so. That's what I learned from James Bond. Yes. So if it's something, it's HMS is is a Brit. It's British. It's It's in the Royal Navy. Um, 
so the lieutenant on the Black Joke is promoted to commander, uh, and he turns the ship over to uh, Lieutenant Harry Downs. Uh, and the say, and uh, what's interesting is there's a there's a journal, a log kept by uh, Lieutenant Henry Downs during his command that's like super dope, and it has just like a lot of like interesting info that we know about the about the Black Joke's journey, including. Um, a run-in it had in eighteen uh, January eighteen twenty nine because she back on her bullshit mm. ca- catching slaver ships. Right. Uh, she, the crew of the Black Joke saw the Spanish load a bunch of slaves on a brig and then set sail for Havana, and they were like, "Nah, and they chased the Spaniard ship down for thor- thirty one hours. What? They just they were chasing the ship for thirty one hours, and then the winds dropped. And they had to use, so they had to use sweeps, which are basically just really long oars. Oh my uh, god! Because they couldn't rely on uh, on the wind being in their favor. To, How long were they oaring? I think just like the like the tail end of, th- of things. Just a few hours. Just, just enough to like bring them within uh, gun range. Right. Um, which remember they have like two or three guns. They had three guns when they were seasoned, and I think they only have like two guns now. Mm-hmm. Um, the Spanish ship that they that they were trying to catch was the L. Almirante, and it boasted 14 guns, 10 18-pound cannons, and four long 9-pound cannons. Wait, that's who they're going against? Mm-hmm. All the ships that they're going against are much larger than them. They're just much faster yeah. and maneuverable. Oh, because these are all like warships. And yeah, and they have are... a warship in their party, but their warship, the Sybil, can't, can't, keep up. Keep, can't catch Sybil, the other warships Sybil is all the slow time. Girl. Yeah, they slower. Um, so the Black Joke is almost half the size of the uh, El Almirante oh, and no. only has two guns. Oh, no. But she don't care. Uh, in 80 minutes of eighty minutes of sea battle, Lieutenant Downs and the Black Joke capture the slaver. I should mention that in all of these encounters, the Black Joke also suffers less injuries or casualties than their opposition. Well, because it can bob and weave. Yeah, yeah. Like, they, just, <laughs> they float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Um and so they seize the Almirante. The Almirante held 466 slaves. In the journal that Henry Downs uh, keeps, um, he's, he writes after the fight with the Almirante, quote, the, Al- the Almirante had been a ship. The owner set her, sent her to America to be thoroughly repaired and fully equipped for the sl- slave trade. And then he rejoices that on the black joke, they had not a man killed during the battle um, with such ship, uh, during the battle and with such a huge ship, he credits the cool, quote, the cool, well-behaved conduct of the officers, seamen, and mariners under my command. So he's like, my crew's dope. I'm good at my job. We're good at what we do. They were all like, they went to, a, this boat went to America, had some work done. Mm-hmm. Was little, fully little, little nip tuck. Mm-hmm, was fully outfitted uh, to be a slaver ship. And we were like, mm-mm. Uh, and then also the logbook also, uh, among like a bunch of other things and drawings and whatnot also lists a bunch of translated vocab that the crew picked up from their African, uh, from the African captives that they rescued, uh, so that they could like communicate when, so they learned how to like, oh. what, like when, if the Africans on board were communicating that they needed to go to the bathroom or like right, yeah. were thirsty or whatnot that they could, that, so they had like a, like a little vocab well, that's sheet. Good. Yeah. Um, March, we're still in 1829, uh, they capture the Carolina, which carried 420 slaves. Uh, Downs returns home sick, but is 
promoted to commander. At this point in his career, he has sla- he has freed 875 slaves. Um, oh my gosh. Freed might be the wrong word though, because it's not always clear how many of them made it on the trip back to Sierra Leone. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes some were relanded closer to where they were, in which yeah. case the Brits couldn't guarantee their freedom. But if they were really sick and they needed to like just right. get them off the sea, and they would like kind of drop them back, uh, try to get them back to from where whence they came, yeah. which if it was not in a British occupied area, they couldn't guarantee. Well, and slave ships were, were just horribly like packed. They packed yeah. those people in there. So, I mean, most... Most slaves died on the journey. Yeah, and a lot, like, and so, not a lot, but like some would die then in these battles yeah. of the Brits trying to overtake the ships right. that they're on. Also, but I, these are the numbers of this of slaves that were on the ships that they it. were, yeah, capturing. Um, any like, like, sea movie you see where there's like sea battles, even modern day ones, mm-hmm. but especially the ones where they're on these like old like bri- brigades. I don't yeah. know. Old old wooden boats, ships, sorry. <laughs> those give me so much anxiety of, like, those sea battles. Because not only is it, like, cool, we're sword fighting, we're cannoning, we're shooting. Yeah. But there's water, and then people are trapped, and then they're, like, jumping back and forth, and you can't tell who's who. Right. It gives me, of any sort of, like, battle scene in a movie, ship battles give me so much anxiety. Um, medieval battlefield scenes also give me a lot of anxiety because I'm like, that's just a mosh pit with swords. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you're literally just swinging an axe around hoping you hit yeah. someone. And, and, and maybe Dave. The correct maybe I know person. Dave and I hit Dave. And, and now Dave's not a, gone. <laughs> not again, Dave. Dave just always gets in everybody's way. Also, Dave, get out of the way. Anytime anytime there's a movie with water, I, I don't realize I'm doing it until I can't breathe. But I like, if someone's underwater, I hold my breath with them. And then I'm like, <gasps> oh no! And I'm like, I can't, I can't make it. It's, it's bad. We, uh, we're our death is going to be by anxiety at entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> I went to the Shed Aquarium when I was little. Like we, me and my mom and my grandma visited, uh, and my sister visited uh, Chicago, and went to the Shed Aquarium, and they had like a, a, a docent whatever in the tank. With like scuba gear oh, yeah, and something yeah. with a fish and whatnot, and they had a mic so you could hear them talk, but you could hear the like of their air tank, no, oh, no. and so I realized that I started breathing along with it. So I was like, <laughs> and it was like at weird intervals, and then I started hyperventilating like in the shed aquarium, and. Mom was like, "Don't breathe along with it." I was like, "I don't know." You're not in the water, Cass. Water. You're just a very empathetic. person. I'm an empathetic person. I breathe with you. Yeah, I hyperventilate with you. It's because I'm fine in the water. Oh, anyway. Oh, sorry. Anyway, sea battles. I'm holding my breath during this. Yeah, back to the back to the sea. Um. Uh. So now Lieutenant E. J. Perry takes over the black joke. Uh, he captures uh, the Christina carrying 345 slaves. Uh, then Lieutenant uh, William Coyd replaces Perry. Uh, this Now we're in April 1830. He captures another ship, another Spanish ship carrying uh, 354 slaves. Uh, the ship returns, the Black Trick returns to Sierra Leone to be refitted and a new captain er, comes aboard, Lieutenant William Ramsey. Uh, they capture... The, they capture an, another Baltimore schooner, not much unlike herself. It's the Dos Amigos. 
Uh, so another kind of faster ship. It has 567 African captives aboard. Um, this is one that like I know that they had to they had to reland them before the they were able to capture the ship completely. Yeah. Um, uh, and the Brits are like, woohoo, another fast ship for our anti-slavery squadron. Add her to the team. The Dos Amigos is now the HMS Fair Rosamond. Ooh. Uh, uh, they then in February they of of thirty one they capture uh, another ship freeing three hundred slaves. April of that year uh, they capture a much larger and heavily armed Spanish slaver. Um, during the action, the boarding party from Black Joke got stranded. This is the type of thing that you were just talking about. Of yeah. like, and when you're like the people cross over, they get on the other ship and they get stuck, and then yeah. it's like what's happening. Um, so they, the boarding party that included the uh, lieutenant, which lieutenant was in charge at this point, uh, Lieutenant Ramsey, uh, who was in charge, uh, got stranded on the Spanish slaver's deck. And a 14-year-old midshipman took the helm of the black joke and rescued the rest of his crew, including his lieutenant. Oh, he was a hero. Yeah. Little guy. Uh, was, I'm sure there were, sadly, folks younger than him. Oh, uh, yeah. Both enlisted and enslaved on the ship. Um, so the the of the there were four hundred ninety six slaves uh, up on that ship. It was called the Marinerito. Uh, but uh, in that case, the battle was so big that like twenty six of the slaves that were on board died, mm-hmm. and one hundred and seven were relanded closer uh, in Bioko instead of being taken to Sierra Leone. Um, then, uh, 18, September 1831, Black Joke and Fair Rosamond chase two Spanish slavers into the Bonny River, of, uh, which is in Nigeria. Um, it's not just a pretty river. I was like, where is that? It's, that's, it's called the Bonny River. Um, oh, you thought they were just like... I was like, what? And now we venture to a Bonny River. A Bonny like, River. That's the name. Uh, I was like, this is a weird turn in the story. <laughs> uh, Lieutenant Ramsey reported that during that chase, they could see the other two ships, which are the Regulo and the Rapido. Uh, Those are fun names. Right? They're like twins. Um, uh, throw some of their slaves overboard rather than having them be captured, uh, thinking that they could be not... That they would be less uh the the if they could get them overboard they wouldn't be uh able to have their ships captured because they didn't have them on right them yeah because before that clause was introduced where you could just be like no no this ship is very clearly outfitted to carry slaves so yeah. it's a slaver ship it doesn't matter that none are physically present we right can take yeah. this uh, this was still before that was passed um so just slaver ships throwing slaves overboard Shackled together, oh left to sink or swim. Good, good fun things. Uh, Ramsey received a promotion also to the rank of commander. So I think that puts us at three former lieutenants in charge of the uh, Black Joke are promoted based on their merits of things that they captured while they were running around mm. on the on the HMS Black Joke. Um, uh, and he hands the command off again. Now we're in February 1832. The Black Joe captures another Spanish ship that has another 290 on, slaves on board. Um, and then, fr- so from from 1830, because in 1832, the Black Joke was deemed unfit for HM service due to uh, rotting timbers and was ordered to be burned. Um, 
so between while it was in service from uh, November 1830 to March 1832, which is even as long as it was in service. So I don't know where those years are coming from. I'm dumb. Uh, no. But, but between between that period of time, uh, the black joke and the fair Rosamond together accounted for 11 out of the squadron's take of 13 slavers in that two year period. Uh, and Peter Leonard, who was a surgeon on a different HMS ship, uh, wrote that the Black Joke was the ship which, quote, uh, has done more towards putting an end to the vile traffic in slaves than all the ships of the station put together. Oh, my gosh. Uh, the ship was burned uh, because it was rotting. Um, and so all that remains of her is an envelope of brown dust at the National Archives and a small quantity of the testings of the rotting timbers in a museum in Lagos. Um, and uh, so based on the numbers that I was able to find in the sources, I tallied them up. Um, this is based on, again, the slaves that, according to the slaver ships logs, how many they had on board. Yeah. Uh, 4,555 slaves on the ships were on the ships captured during like by the black joke during its oh my gosh. time in service. And that's including the ones that were on the black joke herself when she was taken. Mm. Um, not necessarily that many freed. Right. Uh, but to give you an idea over about four years, that's how many uh, were on board the ships that they took. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, that's the story of the HMS black joke. It's, oh my gosh. It's bananas. And you, I mean, we never hear about, well, first of all, I feel like we don't get a whole lot of naval history growing up. We don't. I don't know. Is it like we like don't have the well, reference level for it in school as children? Or yeah. if it just like tends to be maybe slower? I, I'm sure they get it more in in like Britain because they, they're an island. They were yeah. built as a naval powerhouse. Like that was their army. Like Queen Elizabeth, she was like, we got... A navy, they beat the armada, and then they became like a naval whatever country. But I mean, I don't know how prevalent the U.S. Navy's history is. I feel like it is because again, we had to fight Britain, and they were yeah heavily. But even like sea bound, even and even World War One, World War Two. Yeah, but even this is like a this is a United Kingdom story, and all of the sources that I found were basically just like. And it's partially because, like, if the ship goes down and there's a log on it, you don't necessarily get yeah. all the information. Mm -hmm. And it seems like Lieutenant Downs kept, like, the best records. Yeah. And they, they just recovered this log book, like, in the last couple of years somebody yeah. found it. Um, but most of the sources were, like, I tried to move through them quickly, but it, but the, I wanted to capture the fact that they there was... Literally month after month, they were mm. capturing a ship. They were taking another ship that was like twice their size yeah. and whatnot. Um, and I more wanted to capture the quantity of ships that they were taking and the scale of uh, yeah. the amount of African captives that they were freeing. But literally all of the sources I found were basically a timeline. Yeah. Like it was just a laundry list of like, then they got this one, then they yeah. got this one, then they got this one. It was like, I think naval history, like just naval battles all that stuff water is cool and i just realized we don't really i don't really know a lot about it i feel like we don't get a lot of history and if we do it is like this ship you know the hms yeah. or the uss did this one thing or i mean we kind of hear a lot about like u-boats and stuff when we when we study world war ii but 
Yeah, it's interesting that yeah. we don't hear a lot about. I mean, again, as as in the United States, it's not going to be as prevalent as the UK, but this is something I noticed. Yeah, I just thought it was also interesting that even in the sources, it was just basically like a like a checklist of accomplishments. But yeah, I had never. I, I have also not heard much of uh, naval history, and also this particular. Well, and going ship. on that, uh, uh, the once slavery was abolished, like I didn't realize they were going after. Like, yeah, slave, there's this whole squadron ships. that was yeah. doing this. Yeah, that's pretty. That's that's was really like that, and just the sheer quantity. Yeah, was what made me want to. So being do this on story. a boat a long time, like oh, that's a lot. It's a lot, and so they're literally like never home, never on land. And as soon as they are, they're like giving their ship a little nip tuck and like, let's get back out there. Yep. Let's go scurvy it up out on the high seas. Living that Which hashtag if they had, cabin fever life. If they had a high sea orange, they maybe wouldn't, wouldn't they have gone <laughs> scurvy? Is that where the name comes what? from? What? <gasps> oh. But that's the HMS Black Joke. That's very interesting. I, I know nothing about about any of that stuff. So that was that was super cool to hear. Thank you for sharing. Thanks for joining me out at sea. Out at the high sea. Out on the high seas. Um, we're gonna we're gonna pivot over to my topic, which uh, is, is something that I've I've been hearing a lot about more, and I think is really interesting. And I did not realize how far back the history went. I want to talk about um, uh, like black skating culture in America. Ro- okay. Roller skating. Roller skating. Got it. Um, there is a uh. A documentary that came out last year called United Skates, spelled with a Z. Um, and it's about uh, like roller rinks and uh, roller skating and how it evolved from kind of like these kind of quaint like suburban roller rinks to like disco parties. And it is this whole subculture and it actually like fostered a lot of the civil rights movement and R&B and rap and all that stuff. And I've seen videos of, um, like, people will clear out their basements and they're so, it's like, it's beautiful and such intricate roller skating that people can just go in their basement and it's, I mean, listeners, you can't see what Rip's apartment looks like, but it's, Rip, how big would you say the square Where's, footage of this room? Like four thousand square foot. Yeah, it's oh, yeah, pretty yeah. big. Yeah. But they would be they would be Ripple roller skating in baller. someone's basement. That is, you know, yeah. you know how big a basement is generally. Mm-hmm. And there would be like fifty people, and they would be doing spins and all these stuff. In I need. I'm impressed. Anytime anyone can do much of anything uh, on roller skates or inline skates yeah. or ice skates, I cannot. I can go forward. Mm-hmm. I can. I can move. <laughs> I can, I can stop forward. by running into the wall. And that's the only way I can stop. Yes. Uh, I can turn slowly. Mm. Uh, I cannot go backwards. Yeah. I I can, on an ice skate, I can go up on one foot. I don't feel comfortable doing it in oh, any God. other form of skate. Oh, yeah. The one with the blade. Let me go up on one foot. I don't know what it is. Roller, I was always a, I was a very nervous rollerblader and roller yeah. skater. There's such a rich um, culture and tradition in black skating culture and how it really was born out of segregation and civil rights. And this documentary that came out last year talks a lot about um, the emphasis on community and kind of highlighting the, like the history and like knowing where you come from and all that stuff. You said it's called United Skates. Yes. Okay. Um, it was written by Diana Winkler is directed by Tina Brown and, and Diana Winkler It was produced by John legend. I haven't seen it, but it's, I've 
seen little bits and pieces and in interviews from the creators and whatnot. And it's just, there's just so much history and culture involved. And so I started doing some research. I hope your research just became like a YouTube rabbit hole because it well, sounds like that I actually challenged myself way. not to go on YouTube because then I wouldn't write anything down because there are just videos of people skating and I'm like, oh, like I can't. It, yeah. it doesn't make sense to my brain watching it. It's beautiful. It's so smooth. Like, I'm like, y'all are on four boxy little wheels. How do you moonwalk and do all the? It's amazing. Um, so I would like to announce that I am now a proud member of JSTOR. I get six <laughs> free articles a month. I'm so excited. It said like, uh, it had like, you know, the star, like mandatory stuff to fill mm-hmm. out, like name, whatever. And then for optional, it was like institution or university. I was like, is shared history an institution? Nah. But I got to say like field of expertise. And I was like, yeah, I got a field of expertise. It's history. Um, <laughs> I'm really happy. But so when I was Googling just like, black skating culture and all that stuff, there was a an abstract from JSTOR and I j- needed, you needed to, to read, read it. it. And so I just was like, sign up, yes. Um, I'm gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna get him as a sponsor. We're gonna, roller we're gonna skating goes back to 1743. What? Just in general, roller skating. Um, the first recorded use of roller skates was on a London stage performance um, they don't know who the inventor was. What would those skates look like? Well, so they used it a lot in, they look Is it bonkers. just like a sandal with like a, like a stick and some wheels um, on it? No, it's actually, I mean, it we'll looks. We'll post a picture probably with this. We'll post a picture, but it, they look pretty like, they look very like Cirque du Soleil. And okay. um, it was, well, and also very kind of primitive. They were used, uh, I found a timeline and a lot of them were on London stages and they used it in the ballet. And so I got this very Cirque du Soleil vibe of like, yeah. oh, we're doing kind of like a sight gag or like a circusy visual thing. They ended up becoming pretty popular. And in 1857, uh, roller skating gained uh, momentum enough that it warranted the opening of public skating rinks. Yes. So in 1857, Public skating rinks were coming around. Um, ice skating got really big in like the early 1800s and whatnot. So this was kind of the alternative for the summer that we can still ice skate and yes. whatnot. The, it says the Strand, London, and Floral Hall had first the first roller rinks. Um, so it, it kind of was born in London. And then in 1863, the invention of the improved roller skate led to a boom in popularity in the late 19th century in Massachusetts. This guy named James Plimpton was like, let me fiddle with this and make it. Let me plimp it. Let, let me, me, let me plimp, plimp my plimp ride. Bl- <laughs> no! I hate how much I love that. In the 1870s and the late 19th century on, particularly in cities of the American East Coast, um, roller rinks started popping up. This became very popular, and it was in city. So well, what, my, what year? What year are we at? We're 1870s. Okay. I was going to say, like, is there anything but an East Coast yet at this point? Yeah, exactly. But there, there yeah. is. We're good. But, but it was, it, it was, it's important to note that it was primarily in, in like cities and mm-hmm. whatnot. So this is where the JSTOR article comes in. Um, in January of 1885, a man named Richard Brown, who was a night inspector of customs and prominent member of Boston's black community, Boston, oh, we'll sit back to Baltimore, but like Boston area, whatnot, 
both of those cities would be really offended. Yeah. Um, can we redact that rip? Yeah. Nope. nope. I'll nope. sit in my shame. Um, but like they're close by. Northeastern. Yeah. So they get hit with the same storms most of the time. <laughs> no. So Richard Brown and two of his grandchildren, Louisa and Richard Lewis, they went to a uh, the Boston roller skating rink, which was owned by Frank Winslow. George Hawes, the rink's ticket agent, immediately informed Brown that the establishment was private and that African-Americans were not welcome. Brown argued him with him and was like, yes, let us in. This is not... Uh, it, it is a public establishment. It says yeah. public. It says open for the public. So you can't use this argument that it's private. The guy grabbed him by the scruff of the neck and like threw him out. He was so embarrassed because he was front, in front of his grandchildren and just like this was not right in general. Let the people's gate. Yeah. So he um, he brought a petition to Boston City Council um, for the revocation of their license. And he said he had been born after the Civil War and quote, since the abolition of slavery had never till then known the extent of the prejudice which one existed against their race and color, which lingers among ill-informed persons. Which I thought was really interesting because this is in 1885. Yeah, It's right after the Civil War, but this guy wasn't born during it. But there's still, you know, 1885, there's still a lot of racism going yeah. on. It's in Boston, so it's in, it's in, in the, the north. north. So, I mean, I guess it's a lot, it's a lot better up there. But just how how he was like, oh my gosh, like this is really bad, which makes me a little happy that like clearly things were, the fact that he could be ashamed of that or like astounded yeah, means that like it was surprised. it was a lot better post-Civil yeah. War, blast up. Um, but he he brought a petition to the city council. The, the ticketing agent said to him, and this is a quote, you are colored and your friend is colored. I allow no colored persons to skate on my floor. And he said they can buy tickets, admitting them simply as spectators, but they cannot skate here. What? I would not break the rule even for Fred Douglas. And like this guy was like, oh, no, you didn't. Absolutely not. He went to, uh, let's see, where's this guy's name? Julius C. Chappelle, the sole African-American member of the Massachusetts House of Representatives, had proposed new legislation. And he said... And this was the, the title of the article right here, which is like what brought me in. We do not care particularly about the skating rinks, Chappelle clarified, but it is a principle that underlies the whole thing uh, that we argue for. I tell you, if a notice should be put over the gates of hell that colored men were not to be admitted, we would try to enter because we have the right to. It is on principles of rights that we belong to that belong to us that we want this bill passed and public places thrown open. They're like, I don't care where this is. Yeah, we are allowed to be here. We are fighting for it. The legislation passed. Um, and I we believe, are the public and we're allowed to be there. Yeah. And they like fought for this. A community rallied around them. And it was it was just kind of this landmark case. Skating got huge after this. And it people entrepreneurs would go like town to town a lot of times for like traveling circuses or whatnot. And they would make these makeshift roller skates or skating rinks. And so people who have never had exposure to this would be like, what is this newfangled thing? This is super cool. Let's go roller skating. Can't wait till the, the circus or the festival I comes in town. Idea of a of a skating rink traveling sales right yes well and like open your briefcase and just pull out a bunch of boards (laughs) put it together slap them down slap them down and skate uh, on them they got trouble 
I, I, you, I was just gonna say I want to see that version of the Music Man. Uh, who wouldn't? That's like it's like Disney on ice. It's no, like, it's, we're gonna do the exact same play, but on ice. Oh, I was gonna say it's Music Man and Xanadu a mashup. Yes. Oh my God, that's amazing. <laughs> or well, what's the other one? Into- what's the Andrew Lloyd Webber one where they're on skates? Cats. Star- no. <laughs> uh, Starlight Express. They're oh, on roller yeah. skates for. Which Jane Krakowski. I think it was in Starlet Express, Express, or maybe it was Xanadu. She like auditioned and they're like, can you roller skate? She's like, yeah, I can roller skate. And I, I don't think she could. <laughs> I just love her and think she's great. So after World War II, uh, suburbs started popping up all over America. People started moving outside of the cities. Populations boomed. Um, and so roller rinks moved to suburban areas. And they were kind of thought of as very much for children and like family events. And it hit its peak in the 1950s and the 1960s in suburban areas. Uh, The disco craze became popular in 70s culture, which led to another increase in popularity. They said when 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 skating rinks like became a thing in like the 1880s, they kind of ebbed and flowed a lot. So like in the 1880s, it was new. It was a craze. And then like 20 years later, it popped up again. And like every kind of two or three decades, like roller skating came back and they're like the craze is back there were like newspaper articles that would say like it's back yeah which i just think is so funny i can't even imagine the playlist at a skating rink before the disco craze oh, let like, me tell you what, i've got it we, in my notes right here so a disco it was one or before the disco before disco what did they skate to? they played to organ music it was I kind of I, in my mind I'm kind of thinking these as like like little uh, it's like it's like uh, like sock psalms, hops or like oh. oh no 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 so so it was um like I'm you know when like you went to organ music yeah no no you know when you went to like well yeah you remember when you went to movie theaters in the silent era yes yes. oh yes uh, Fanny were, Pemberton has told me all about Fanny it. Pemberton yes they played kind of like. In my mind, it's like saloon like, music. Do, 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 do. Yes, like what yeah. you would hear, because um, in, in silent films, they would bring in an organ and they would play over it and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like that. Uh, and then they said once disco culture became big, um, it, it hit roller rinks right away. The old organ music was replaced with rock and roll, neon signs, multicolored lights. Disco balls were hung in all of them so they could like... Join in the disco craze and also, whatnot. Also, like, let's be honest. The most skating-friendly clothing is polyester. Oh. You gotta have some You know, you stretch. want something that stretches and breathes yeah. real good. Yeah, so you can do your... So you can go into the splits and be, be a star on the rink. Yes. That's what all of us want. In the, in the old... I just want to be able to stop appropriately without running into a wall or a child. Do you know what I don't like? That you need to lean forward on your toe to stop when it's like, my momentum is trying to go backwards. I thought, I thought I hated that. And then I learned to inline skate. And I didn't like leaning on my back, on my heel either. So yep. You know what? I don't think there's a win-win for me no. and my balance. So you know how I said that the roller rinks started off in major, mainly in cities mm-hmm. and whatnot. And then they migrated to the suburbs. Yeah, well, as, as people started moving to the suburbs, these like densely populated urban areas meant like a heavy African-American presence, um, which kind of began the black skate culture movement in the 70s. But they were heavily segregated. They were relegated to black-only nights, which is just one night of the week. This kind of like disco black skating culture uh introduction of like r&b and all that stuff it made it like an adult event now um there was a very much of like a party vibe uh 
like, you know, bringing communities together mm-hmm. and whatnot. And so it was like, it went from family nights, like adult night. It was kind of like a date night place. It was where you would go to meet your friends you a, and you whatnot. You got a couple skate. You got a couple skate. And as this turned into a, a lot of uh, African-Americans and like an older crowd, then as soon as it switched over from kind of family night to like adults only or whatever, they would bring in more security and like cops would be hanging out in the parking lots and kind of vilified them. And the, the documentary United Skates goes a lot into about the discrimination, the segregation and how a lot of roller rinks nowadays are shutting down and they're pushing these communities out and kind of forcing them to band together and fight for these roller rinks and this culture that they have. It was heavily focused on in the civil rights movement. One of the first sit-ins in 1949, let's see, where is this? In Chicago was at a roller rink. It says here, young African-Americans, along with members of CORE, a civil rights organization, stage a sit-in at, and then in it, in the article, it says in parentheses, poorly named White City Roller Skating Rink. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm guessing it was someone's name, but it was just like, oh, yeah. oh no, man. No, it's because it's it's because Chicago is known as the White City because of uh the because of the World Fair. Oh because yeah. Because of the Definitely. White City that they that jo- Daniel Burnham. Oh yeah, isn't there the isn't there a, a book Devil in the White City? Devil in the White City. Yeah. yeah. But just, you know, like oh, of course it's named that. Just one of Chicago's many nicknames. Yeah. Well so they uh they started, they, they, there were a lot of like peaceful protests. There was demonstrating and it was a part of the civil rights movement of like, let us come here when we want to. We mm-hmm. don't want a black only night. We don't want one night of the week. We want to be able to, as uh, Julius C., oh my God, where did it go? Chappelle says, it is on principle of rights that belong to us, that we want this bill passed and public places thrown open. Call back, full circle. Full it, Lap around the skating rink? Yes. Yes. I'll see myself out. <laughs> uh, lights dim. Yeah, no, like, the, like, and, and the kind of, the really, like, discrimination when they would bring in security guards and whatnot um, is, it started happening in, like, the 70s and whatnot, but people don't realize that, like, hip-hop and rap kind of started at roller rinks. The, the music genre there started there because DJs, Dr. Dre and Queen Latifah were DJs at roller rinks in their early careers. Um, I love this. Yes. So even after rap gained like mainstream awareness in the 70s and the 80s, rappers had a difficult time booking shows at like yeah. traditional concert venues. Like people were like, we don't want that music yeah. here. We don't want y'all here. So they would go to roller rinks and it was a form of a community center. And they're like, yes, come to us. We want to hear your music. We want you to DJ for us. There's a, I think I've got a list here. I of- would. Love, I would love to skate to Queen Latifah. Yeah. It they uh, they're also like it makes sense that hip hop was in these areas or these uh, venues because they were sampling and spinning a lot of soul, funk, and disco. Like yeah. there's so much disco DNA in like the beginning of hip hop. Yeah, and and so like some of the, the uh, DJs that would play there: DJ Ready Red, Michael K, MC Cool G. It, and it was just kind of born and grew in the roller rinks and like very, yes, very much pulled from disco culture and just, oh my gosh, I cannot explain how cool this is. Y'all go to YouTube and just Google like skating parties and all this stuff. Check out United Skates. 
check out Roll Bounce from 2005, which is, it's with Bow Wow, which I don't know if he was billed as low Bow Wow back then, but I remember. five. Yeah. Medium Bow Wow. Medium Bow Wow. But he, I remember it was, I was like, really? He's like, I don't want to go by low Bow Wow. I'm an adult. I'm like, yeah. I'm a full Bow Wow. Uh, Bow Wow Wow. Um, yippee yo, yippee yay. Sorry. I hate myself. Nick Cannon was in it. Megan Good. Wesley Jonathan from What I Like About You. Charlie Murphy, Mike Epps, just like an amazing cast. It's set in the 70s. Um, It's about like their local skating rink on the south side of Chicago gets shut down and they're like, we got to go to the north side and there's like a skate battle. It's it's amazing. There's such a rich culture here and it's so ingrained in community and music and civil rights and whoa, it's cool. Can you tell I'm excited? I love this so much. Yeah. I like want to go watch this. Uh, watch United States. It's, it's, it's an HBO documentary, so if y'all get HBO, you can check it out. Roll bounce. I don't know if that's streaming anywhere. Uh, did y'all have a like a local a skate rink that skate you would West, go to? Baby. Skate West. Uh, what were your peak years? Oh God, of we, going to this. Um. I, okay, so I remember vividly, and now I can't remember the name of it. It was like something fun zone. Um, there was a skate rink in uh, out in the suburbs of Chicago that wasn't in my suburb um, that had like a big skate rink, a bunch of party rooms, and then also had like a uh, play area that um, – that was one of those play areas where it's like a fake grocery store and like you can like pretend to be like a, like a cashier and yeah. like you can pretend to go shopping. Not no, a thing in Florida. Nope. <laughs> Not familiar with this concept. Uh, uh, this, this is a Midwestern thing oh, then okay. where you just go pretend to be a grocery shopper. I don't know if that was, I mean, I don't know that I saw that. Actually, no. And yeah, anytime there's like a waiting room that had like play, kids like play stuff or whatever, yeah, yeah. I feel like there was always like. It wasn't this like was, the kitchen at, it was the grocery store. This was oh, wow. a like full built out, oh, like, no, like probably the size of like a medium sized like New York bodega, <laughs> like faux grocery store like set. Oh no. In this didn't. place. I'll have to, I'll find, I'll be able to, I'll be able to find a picture. That's a you thing. Wild. I'll be able to find a picture because you know, kids just like to pretend that they're doing chores. They don't want to yeah. do chores. Yes. Uh, but I would say age range wise. So I'm tra- I'm picturing like the photos from like my or my cousin's mm-hmm. birthday parties there. Um, Funway, I think is what it's called. Um, that sounds and crazy. I was, I was probably like low end, like seven. So I'd be like age wise, like seven to like twelve. Yeah, was like peak peak skate times. I was a before and after care kid, and I was a like a summer summer school kid or whatever so my mom would just drop me off and be like take care of my kid we would go to skate west all the time and they would like sometimes and people would do like birthday parties there oh yeah and they'd be like during the day and i do remember the kind of like turnover from like okay the party's ending everyone's gotta leave and very much me seeing children around me who are like not good at skating and we're mm-hmm. getting injured and whatnot and me just thinking like this as a sport as an activity is like not something that there's finesse or skill to and then the turnover of like oh now it's like later adults. there's usually a bar the adults were coming in and seeing them like tear dance yeah. like actually dance and i was like oh this isn't a dumb kid thing this is like kind of cool yeah and me being like oh, God, 
And you know what? Honestly, you, you, with your knees, you shouldn't. I yeah. shouldn't. No. What about you, Rip? What do you think is like sweet spot age wise? Uh, well, sixth grade, seventh grade, Hollywood, Florida, Galaxy Skate Rink. <gasps> yeah. Was they have cosmic skate skate? That's all it was. It yeah. had like that gross it's in the branding, like black light conducive carpet i'm just oh, yeah. imagining alley carpet yes yeah i'm imagining pizza planet from toy story but as a skating rink uh, honestly yeah sounds a lot, right. of, a lot of sounds games dope. and uh it was just like the place to be on a friday or saturday night if you weren't going to see a movie mm-hmm. uh and then uh eighth grade comes and the Pines Ice Arena opened, and we started That's holding what I was hands. Say is we we had a, we, we like tur- we also like turned yeah. over at like thirteen. It like turned mm-hmm. over to people having ice skating parties yeah. and not roller skating. And parties. then they introduced Big Booty Fridays. What? Yeah, what? yeah. At, That's, the, at which at rink? The, at 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 Pines Ice Arena. What does okay. that mean? Uh, it means it's couple skate, but only for big booties. Not uh, so like the area outside the ice uh, the ice rink. Uh, they would just like turn the lights off, put a bunch of club lights on, and they would have a DJ. And it's just a bunch of just like pubescent, like eighth through tenth graders mm-hmm. just rubbing up on each other. So it went from it went from like, oh, now we're going to like middle school and we're like holding hands, and then it turned to like, oh, we grind. Yeah, I mean, like were, middle school dance yeah, style. Like there were always like the seeds of that in yeah. at, at Galaxy. Like, you know, but you just didn't know like what to do with it. Designated yeah. area for it. Like exactly. at the ice. Yes. Uh and oh, I love this. uh coincidentally enough, uh Big Booty Fridays is where I had uh my was where I made out for the first time. Oh my god. Yeah. I was in eighth grade, she was a ninth grader. Oh a coming of age story. Yep. Were you a DJ back then? Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was just but a little ripper. <laughs> just a just a wee ripper. A wee ripper. Uh, a wee little ripper. I I this I this resonates with me so strongly. My first kiss was in a photo booth at a bowling alley. Oh. So did you take pictures of it? No. Oh, <laughs> we should have. Should have. Uh, I do have pictures with that same boy in that same photo booth, but it wasn't that particular time. That's good. Uh, so. Give me some, give me some gross carpet, and apparently I'm. I was a late bloomer on the first kiss. I was yeah. dating someone freshman year of high school, and I didn't want him to be my first kiss, so I broke up with him. <laughs> it was horrible. Uh, respect, respect. Yeah. You know what? The heart wants what the heart wants. The heart wants what the heart wants. What a journey that we have been on in this fine episode. Yeah, we've we've sailed the seas. Uh, well, it's funny because like you're we we kind of. When uh, when you said that you were going to be you were doing like slave ships and all that stuff and mine is more heavily focused on like 70s, 80s, 90s. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, we're kind of going chronologically, but there's a lot of overlap because mm-hmm. roller skating started in technically the 1740s, but really yeah, in the 18- so technically 1880s. before my story. So starts. I was real, real ready to just jump on that as wrong because. I, I was getting mixed up because uh, we all know inline skating was invented in uh, the sixth century uh, by Calvin Fuller, aka the we Kid in King know. Arthur Court. Yes, we all oh, know this. Yeah, everyone. We knows. all know this very well. You both seen a Kid in King Arthur? Oh Court, yeah, right? yeah, okay, yeah. Okay. Isn't there's a there's yeah, a book a, as well, you, right? the historical documentary and Kid in King, King Arthur? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 reenactment. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
but yeah, uh, it's it's. I think everyone should check it out. Uh, check out United Skates. I'm probably gonna be watching it. Maybe we've been doing a lot of um, more bonus content, and yeah, we'll watch it. We'll talk about it. Maybe we watched Balto, and we talked about it. Um, I'm loving this idea of like kind of having little movie reviews. Yeah, of little little recaps of of things that there are movies that are based on stories that we've told or have like themes that are part of them. I'm down for it. Yeah, uh, with our like when we started the podcast, a lot of. I think my motivation and like interest in this is, you know, everyone is interested in history and people who say they aren't just haven't had the right exposure to it or the right teachers. Yeah. And I love how if you find a good history tidbit or story, like the first thing I think of is like, I want to see this. I want to see a movie about it. Uh, My interest in history started from movies of like, National oh, treasure. National treasure. Oh, like boy. this is but like this is all like real stuff, but yeah. it is kind of fictionalized and like it's made fun on screen. And so I urge anyone who says they don't like history or maybe they just don't, like find a movie set in history and start from there. And then if you are interested in history, like check out how much it has influenced Or like, what is something that you are super interested in? Have you looked at the history of that thing? Yes. Like, Like, I know... uh, Like the history of hip hop or like the history of roller skating or... We've been talking a lot about getting, uh, about like guests on the show and who we want on the show. And I think you mentioned something about like comic books. Yeah. And and everything has history. And it's so cool for me for something that seems so modern or something like only existing in this time. Like, no, usually it's going to go pretty far back. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hip hop evolution on Netflix is one of my favorite uh, docuseries. Mm. There are, it's, it's the best. Yeah. Thank you all for joining us on, uh, on this beautiful journey that we had. If you want to listen to any of the bonus episodes that Cass just mentioned, um, for example, the live episode we did in Naperville and the video of the live episode we did in Naperville. And we'll, by the time this is airing, we'll have a, an episode about uh, like a recap of the animated cinematic adventure uh, of mm. Balto uh, that will be on our Patreon. So that is patreon.com slash arcade audio. Uh, tell them that we sent you and uh, enjoy bonus content from Shared History and also uh, all the other arcade audio network podcasts be sure to follow us on instagram and twitter at shared pod we we throw a lot of um there will be a lot of pictures from this yeah, episode especially uh, because again as we all know podcasting is a visual, it's a medium. visual medium yeah uh we throw a lot of pictures of uh the stuff that we talk about that we can't show you over the sound waves um we post a lot of just random fun tidbits we hear for about history a lot about how we make this podcast yeah. it's super fun to check out so if you want to if you want to see some some Balmer schooners, 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 and uh, some some seventeen hundreds roller skates. skates. Roller skates. Uh, you can peep those over at at, at Shared Pod. Um, great. Uh, uh, what, what's up, DJ? No, it was just crazy that uh, you knew my uncle's nickname, the Balmer Schooner. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, share, share you later. Thank you for playing Arcade Audio. Play more at arcadeaudio.net.